Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I don't know if many of you have uh, ever been able to, to have something in your heart that you just wanted to say. <clears throat> it's been hard for the last 30 minutes sitting over there, to be honest with you, because I'm so excited today to get to communicate something to you that I believe God has put in my heart. Um, as I was sitting there listening to, to, the, to the choir and the, the, the worship team and the band lead us before the throne today. I don't know if you know this, but all the songs that we sang are just like perfectly lined up. You're going to know. Because we just sang songs that, I mean, one, I, I, I had to stop and write it down. We, here's what we said when we were singing today, Sean, with you. It'll be my joy to say your will, your way. It'll be my joy to say that. And then Hannah just led us in a song where we said, I still sin like I don't believe. For those of us in the room today who are followers of Christ, and I don't know where you are on that journey, those aren't just songs. Your will, your way, that means your will, your way. I don't mean to point that out. And when you... Sing something like, I still sin like I don't believe. I mean, like our heart should be broken, Nico. Because I remember being an unbeliever. And I didn't care. Like the word didn't mean anything to me. What God had placed in my heart or, or, or what he had placed in, in his own heart and wasn't in mine. It wasn't part of me. And so today, as we look at 1 Samuel, we're going to look at six chapters. That's right. 11 o'clock, we'll get here at the halftime. I'm going to try to cut it down. It hasn't started out well. This wasn't, that, that wasn't even in the notes. I want to, this isn't in the notes either, but I want to read you a couple of as I was sitting there listening and just knowing what I was about to present to you and what God was saying in my heart, I went back to some quotes that I'd quoted before in some of my social media stuff and just some things that I'd read about sin. Andrew Murray said, never forget that your whole relationship with God depends on what you think of sin and of yourself as a redeemed sinner. A few years ago, we had a guy come here um, who preached for us, and I can't find the quote now. This is what happens when you do it on the fly. 
But Dr. Ken Witten said, the sin that is covered will be uncovered. But what you uncover, he will cover. Ignatius, one of the church fathers, said, it is impossible for a man to be freed from the habit of sin before he hates it. So today as we start, I know what I'm looking at today. I know I'm looking at a room full of sinners. And if I had a mirror, I'd be looking at one too. But I know what I look like, so I know I am. But do we hate it? Today I want to talk about, literally, we are going to look at four, five, six chapters in, in a brief time. I'm going to do a synopsis for you. We are in the, the third sermon of a series we're calling Blast from the Past from the book of 1 Samuel. But have you ever had a pattern in your life? That when it seemed like every time had been conquered in your life, some sin had been conquered in your life, it somehow seemed to rear its real but ugly head. Anybody but me? Y'all ought to have your hands up. I've got some. I'm going to share some with you. Not all of them. I love fried foods, as you can tell. Starting with... Chicken ending with Snickers. <laughs> to be honest with you, my biggest weakness isn't fried food, though. My biggest weakness is what's called the Elfin Fudge Cookie. When my wife buys those, oh my goodness. There are other things, too. I love to do nothing instead of doing things that need to be done. I seem to have an issue at times with being in control instead of serving other people. And there are, then there are deeper ones, darker ones, that to be honest with you, I'm not ready to share with you. But God knows about them. I think those things have been put to bed, and then all of a sudden, all at once, there they are again. Anybody with me? In this third lesson that we're going to look at here in the book of 1 Samuel, we're allowed the opportunity, we're going to look into the pattern of the life that Israel, and by the way, Israel was a country, it was a nation, but it was made up of individual people. So when I say Israel, I mean individuals. That individual people had these patterns that they would find themselves in again and again. There would be times in the life of this nation, of these people, that they would follow God without fail and without pretense. But then there were times that they would fall back into self-dependence and a lack of faith. And so they sound like us. You see, Israel always had an enemy. Israel still has enemies. They will always have enemies. They had an enemy, though, that we're going to look in on here that wanted to conquer them. Now it was the Philistines. Even in times like this, when we would think they needed God the most, Israel would begin depending upon themselves, be totally self-dependent, and figure out life without God. Does that sound familiar? They would find themselves living in what actually is rebellion against God. Because here's what sin is. Rebellion. Sin is rebellion against God. It is what is opposite of him. And it wouldn't just happen once. It wouldn't just happen twice. Israel would be in an unfortunate pattern that would be detrimental to the nation and to each individual personally. 
So here's the question. Here's what I want to throw before you today. Do you have a pattern in your life that you find yourself in? Or is there a pattern of your life that is opposite or against God? Like you know what the Bible says. You know what God wants. But you know what you're going to do? Opposite. I had a um, good friend that will be here today during the service if he's not already here. He usually sits right here so I don't see him. But he said, what can I pray for you about today? I said, man, pray for boldness and grace because it's not going to be hard for me to deliver the sermon. It just might be hard to hear it. Have you become okay with doing opposite of what you know God wants? And listen, you should be me. I've got to study this. I'm sitting by there studying this and looking at it and Feeling like somebody else needs to preach this, David. I need to be right here. But God deemed it that I would be standing here. And that I would get the full load of God's truth. The full weight. And so it's just kind of in me. So we're going to go back. We're going to look at these five and a half chapters, six chapters, whatever it is. I'm not going to read it all for sake of time. I am going to read some. Micah told me this morning there's more than I've ever read, which is true. But let me give you a brief synopsis of where we've been and where we're going to go in this message. Past couple weeks, we've learned about the incredible gift that Hannah was given in the person of her son Samuel. You remember that? She asked God for him. God answered her prayer. Samuel was born. Now he's been called. He's, taught, he's being taught the things of God. He's going to be given back to God, and he was given back to God. He'd be given back to God and left at the temple with a priest whose name was Eli. Do you remember that name? Then in chapter 2, verse 12, we read about the time, the culture, the atmosphere that Samuel was growing up in. The time that he was serving in to become God's judge for the nation of Israel. And, and chapter 2, verse 12, says something very interesting. I'm going to read it to you. If you've got your Bible, this is the day to have it because we're going to be flipping. It's not even all going to be on the screen. The Bible says, listen to this. Now the sons of Eli, now this was the priest, all right, that she left Samuel with. The sons of Eli, listen to what it says. This is not what you want God to say about you. Were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. That's terrible. I can't think of anything I would not want God to say about me more than that. Worthless and didn't know God. What we see here is an important contrast. There's, the, there's Samuel, who's the man of God, being taught the things of God, being given back to God. And then we see Eli's sons, who, who, whose names are actually Hophni and Phinehas. And the Bible says they were worthless. They didn't know God. God would not be pleased with how the holy place would be managed by Eli and his sons. They were in charge of, if, if you will, the, the church auditorium. They were in charge of the place where the people would come and sacrifice and give of the sacrifices. But they were worthless. They knew the law of God and the expectation of God, but they didn't feel the need to obey God. They must have believed they could live any way they wanted and still receive God's blessing with no consequence of their lifestyle of sin. They lived in rebellion and opposition to God, but God's plan 
for not just them, but for the world, would never be thwarted. And can I say that to you today? Oh, there you are. Praise the Lord. Wrong side. Can I say that your sin will affect you, but it won't affect his plan? God's got a plan, and he's working the plan. Listen, you're either going to be in it, or you're not. I want to be in it. How about you? And God wants us to be in it. I have five kids. Sometimes, some of them aren't in it. But I got a plan. And I'm working it. And if you don't listen and obey, you'll be out that day of the plan. But I still love you. And listen, God loves you. He wants you to be in the plan. But I'll promise you, you will suffer the consequences. So our lesson, we've looked at lessons every week. We've had one thing that we're going to learn today. Here's our lesson. I'm going to, we're going to put it up on the screen. Our personal rebellion will not change the plan of God, but our rebellion can change our part in it. It won't change the plan, but it will change if you're going to be in it or not. In other words, our personal rebellion won't change the ultimate plan of God, but it can keep us from being a part of it. God's plan will continue with or without us. Woo, I'm preaching loud and hard and something's about to burst. So let's just dig into 1 Samuel we're going to start with chapter 2. I want to tell you three things today about what rebellion looks like and how, we're, how we could actually get out of that. There was a rebellion that took place. That's point number one. There was a rebellion. In chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, we found out about Hophni and Phineas's rebellion. They weren't the only ones who rebelled, who rebelled, but they're the ones that are talked about the most. Remember, they were worthless men who didn't know the Lord. What does the Bible say about their rebellion? Well, here's what it says. First of all, they were careless with the things of God. In chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, let me just read it for you. The Bible says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men and didn't know the Lord. And the custom of the priests with the... Uh, 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 ugh. They did not know the Lord and, and they didn't know the custom of the priests with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come. Now that's Hophni and Phineas would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. When he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first and take and then take as much as you desire. Then he would say, no, but you shall give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For the men despised the offering of the Lord. You say, Tom, I, that, that's a great story, but what's the big deal? I mean, they were barbecuing. I mean, they were hungry, Tom. What proof is it that they were worthless? Well, they were greedy. They were selfish, not selfless, greedy individuals. Their sin brought them to a place where people would bring their sacrifice to say, here's the deal. 
I am laying the sacrifice down to atone for my sins. It was a picture of atonement. They were taking it for themselves. But it was worse than that. They weren't just taking what the people were giving for um, uh, repentance or, or, or for atonement. They were also taking, listen to this, what was God's. Ironically, the priest and the servants were always given some of the meat. Like a portion of it, everybody knew. All of Israel knew. Some of it's going to be for you anyway. But the most of it is for the atonement of sin and the rest of it is for God himself. You know why they were worthless? Because they thought they were God. I mean, if you're going to eat God's stuff, I mean, can we not presume that? If you're going to take what is God's, can we not say, I think I'm God? You see, that's how bad sin is. I don't think we know the level to which we are capable of and committing sin. And how atrocious and rebellious it is against the holy God. I know sometimes I don't. Right now I feel like something's preaching and it's not me and I'm listening. Sin is real. They were greedy. His sons thought that it'd be okay to take the choicest of the meats of the sacrifice for themselves. They were going to get some, but they wanted God's too. They weren't only careless with the things of God. Secondly, they were disobedient to the commands of God. Verse 22 in that same chapter says this. Listen to this. This is how bad it got. Now, Eli was very old and... This is verse 22. And he heard all that his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they, listen to this, lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Can I tell you they weren't napping? Bible's trying to be sweet here, okay? Trying to be, you know, a little. They were having sex with them. Can you imagine pulling up to the church doors here? And anybody laying out there, but especially not the pastors. Listen, I'm trying to put something in your mind here so you understand how worthless and what sin looks like. At the door of the tent of meeting, at the door of the temple, at the door of the church facility. They were disobedient. These guys were sexually immoral. They weren't just greedy. They were sexually immoral. It was so bad that all of Israel knew it. Israel was talking about it. The people of Israel were going around telling everybody the story. You won't believe what's going on up at the tent. You can't believe it. These are the guys who are supposed to be helping us and showing us the way and praying for us. They are sexually immoral people. Their selfishness led to a sexually immoral lifestyle. It is disobedient to live a sexually immoral lifestyle. I can't even believe I'm having to say that. A 
Probably the greatest question of our day is, well, what is sexually immoral? Like, what is immorality? What is... What does it mean to be sexually immoral? I mean, can I do whatever I would like to do? And I mean, inside the house of God, people are asking this question. Any or, because here's the deal. Sexual immorality is any immorality outside, outside of what God has deemed moral in his word. I know this is countercultural. I know this is totally not what you came here to hear today. But the Bible says the only morality concerning sex is one, one, one man, one woman in marriage. Listen, and, and, and I'm not here. Listen, I, I want you to hear me say this. I'm not here because I got an axe to grind politically. You can't live however you want if you're a believer. Your life, your body is not your own. You are dead and he took it over. No, Tom, you don't know how. They were doing it then. We aren't different from who they are. You see, what I've just described to you is not my, it is my moral value, but here's the thing. It's only my moral value because it's God's. So I got it. I took it because it's his. I didn't come up with it because I'm grinding the axe. You think that you can live however you want, sleep with whoever you want to? You think you can shack up with whoever you like? You think you can live in open, rebellious sin and have God's blessings in your life? Sexual immorality is a sin. Some people say, I'm just going to keep mine quiet. Remember what I said at the beginning. What is covered will be uncovered. But some people aren't trying to cover anything. They're just out there. And they look at us and they say, deal with it. I can't do anything, but I'll promise you, you'll miss the blessing of God. His plan won't change, remember? Remember? But your part in it can. They were greedy. They were sexually immoral. Thirdly, they didn't value the presence of God. In chapter 4, i got to turn over just a little bit to see this. Verse 11, the Bible says, And the ark of God was taken. Now there's a lot to this, and I'm not going to read it all, but let me just say these words. The ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. You see, the ark was a very precious thing to them. It was actually what went into the tent of meeting. Sometimes the Israelites would get confused and think that the ark was God. Or that God was in the ark. Or that the presence of God was just around the ark. And so what had happened was, is they had gone into battle with the Philistines and they thought they were going to win. And what turned out to happen was actually, they got their hineys handed to them. That's the way we'd say it in Tennessee anyway. 3,000 people or 4,000 people died. And so they said, oh my goodness. You know what our problem was? We didn't have the ark with us. Let's go back and get the ark. The ark was in a different city. They went back and got the ark. And instead of Hophni and Phinehas saying, hey boys, that's where this stays. I said, oh, what the heck, let's go. Took it out to the battlefield. You know what happened? It got taken 
You understand that the presence of God isn't just at the ark. It isn't just in this sanctuary. There's a whole bunch of sanctuaries around America and around the world today where God isn't. But I'll promise you this. Our God is not confined to a chest, a box, a three by two by two. He's bigger than that. They didn't need the ark there. They had made the ark their God. They forgot about the presence of God. You may think that Sunday morning is when you come into the presence. And so it's where I put on the stuff. It's where I come in my stuff. You know, I've waited all week. But as soon as I leave this place and I get back out on Monday, I'm going to go right back to my hell. Back to my sin. Listen, the presence of God, how you treat it matters. Because the presence of God is all the time everywhere. They had lost twice now. The Bible goes on to tell us that after they lost it, they went back into battle. When they got, when the ark was actually finally lost, 30,000 people were killed. Seven and a half times as many people died. Now they're really confused. Hophni and Phinehas died. Their rebellion, subtle, but real. What was subtle about it? Just take the ark. Put it in that place. The presence of God is here. They were wrong about the presence of God. The presence of God was already there. They were being judged for their sin. The reason they died, the reason they lost the two battles, the reason they lost the ark, wasn't because the ark wasn't there. It's because their sin was before them, and they refused to admit it. How subtle is your sin, or do you think it is? These are questions I ask at my desk looking out my window. Lord, what in my life? It's so subtle, I don't even realize it. And then what are those things that I do realize that I don't care about? It may not be greed, it may not be sexual immorality, it may not be the presence of God, but you fill in the blank. What is it in your life? But they weren't the only ones living in rebellion. Eli was. Listen to what the Bible says about Eli in chapter 2. Turn back just a bit. Verse 29. Listen to this. God says to Eli, why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I've commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me? By making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of the people of Israel. You see, the truth was, this wasn't just something the sons were doing. This was something their father was allowing. See, rebellion isn't just necessarily what you do. Listen to me close. I think it's what we don't take care of. Like, what has God given you responsibility over? Parents? They're your responsibility. Well, they're 18. Do you remember being 18? Now, no disrespect to the 18 to 22 year olds in the room, okay? I used half my brain. All kinds of freedom, no responsibility, and it was just a, like dynamite and a match. They are your responsibility. Yours, we're going to help you, but I'll promise you, 
You need to know where they are, what they do. Well, they're 18. Well, who cares? They're still acting dumb sometimes. Excuse me. Sorry. Not these. At your job, what are you responsible for? In your home, in your neighborhood. What has God given you that responsibility for that you said, ah, just forget it. They can live in sin. It's okay. It's not hurting me. You have responsibility with authority. So did Eli. God told him what should be done. And he was idly standing by watching them do just opposite of that. You see, wherever there's rebellion against or opposite of God, we need not think consequences won't soon follow because sin is rebellion. Here's the second point. There were consequences. There was sin. There was rebellion. But there are consequences to it. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 13 says this. Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel. This is God speaking now. This is one of the things you wouldn't want to hear come out of his mouth necessarily, okay? I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And listen, that's not a good thing. Ooh, tingle. No, that's bad. In that day I will carry out all that I've spoken against Eli concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I'm about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves. And he did not rebuke them. What were the consequences? I've already kind of stated them. Israel is defeated in battle twice. They had no power to defeat their enemy. Secondly, the Ark of the Covenant is captured. Now, those who don't know God or profess Him have it. Don't know how to treat it. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons, are killed. Chapter 4, verse 11. Eli actually dies. He's an old, big old guy. The Bible says he falls backwards in his chair after he hears about the ark being captured and his son's dying. And he dies too. But it gets worse. Eli's daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, is pregnant. And upon hearing the ark is captured, her husband and her father-in-law are both dead. She gives birth to a son and she names him Ichabod. That's not a good name to have. The Bible says that that name means the glory has departed from Israel. Gone. Nobody wanted to hear that on CNN. Nobody wanted to see that scroll the bottom of the newscast. Uh-oh, God's gone. The glory has departed. That's going to be your name forever, son. Sorry. You see, there's consequences to our rebellion. Do we really think we could live in rebellion against God? And receive a blessing from Him? I mean, as children of God, can we live immorally in sin and expect God to bless it? Can we treat cheaply the commitment of relationship and marriage we've made to God and expect to be blessed? Can we expect to steal time or money that isn't ours and be blessed? Can we expect to lie to each other and sin against each other and still count on blessings from God? preaching to me too. 
I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching for us. Sin is serious. And there will be consequences. And when you look back in your life, you're going to see them with 20-20 vision, but you won't be able to see them right now. You see, they couldn't thwart the plan of God, but what they did was took themselves out of it. They're all dead. They're all gone. You say, Tom's God going to kill me? I don't want to say no. I mean, I, I want to say no. I thought God was a loving God. Listen, you got to put right beside that God is a just God. You want the blessings of God? Stop living in sin. So I'm going to give you, because what happens in the next two chapters, I'm not going to read those five and six, but the ark is gone and everywhere the ark went, something bad happened to the people that had it. Go read it. It's going to be awesome. Okay? Like, it's crazy. They should make a movie about it in Hollywood. It's crazy. But in chapter 7, God said, here's what you need to do. The third thing is that there, were, there was the promise of God's faithfulness to us. Look at chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, and we'll be finished. The Bible says, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the asterisk, from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone he'll deliver you from the hand of the Philistines so the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Asherah and served the Lord alone you see God's plan God's purpose was always to have a close relationship with you that's his plan he wants a close relationship with the people that he's created. He is faithful to us. He is faithful to what he says. So how do we get back that fellowship with him that we lost because of our rebellion? So you may be sitting here today and you're like, oh my gosh, Tom, you know, I've made some wrong decisions and I've said some wrong things and so I guess now God's going to do to me what he did to Ophni and Phineas. He's going to kill me. Listen, you're not dead yet, so here's the deal. There's time. There's time. What a gracious and merciful God for allowing us to stay alive long enough to say, God, I'm coming back. Amen. He gives us the formula. The first thing he says in verse 3 is return to God. Return to God alone. Verse 3 says, then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, if, conditional sentence here, depending on what you do, if, you return to the Lord with all your hearts. Then put away all the foreign gods and the Asherahs from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve Him only and He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Not He might, not He can, He will. <laughs> Listen, I don't know what your Philistine is today. You got one and it's battling you he said, if you will turn to him, he will deliver you. Isn't that good? I love the promises. And that is what God wants from us. Return to him. He will supply everything that you need. Secondly, not just return to God. Remove what 
you desire more than God. The Bible says in verse 4 again, So the children of Israel put away the bales and the asterisks and served the Lord only. You not only have to return to Him, you've got to remove what you want more than you want God. He didn't just say, hey, return to me and bring the bales and the asterisks with you. You with me? He said, when you return to me, they got to stay. Because that meant you really returned. Turning to God will also involve releasing what you now desire more than you desire him. It's actually called idolatry. Worshiping and loving someone Or something more than God. What have you placed in your life above Him? Just answer that question in your mind. What have you placed in your life above Him? Let it go. And let it go today. And listen, you're still alive, so you can let it go. You can let it go. C. Thirdly. Not C. Thirdly. Repent of your rebellious ways. Verse 6 says this. Chapter 7. They gathered to Mizpah. And drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel there at Mizpah. We have sinned against the Lord. Listen. Just admit it. Well, I'm afraid to tell him. He already knows. (laughs) You see, you telling him doesn't help him, it helps you. You telling him makes you confess, which means I agree with you, Lord. This is sin, so I'm going to tell you about it. You remember raising kids? You, some of you, it's been a while, so you don't remember, you know. And some of you got some of you got nieces and nephews, and you're glad that's what you got, you know. And you you tell like you catch your child in a lie. No, Daddy. No. I didn't eat the cookies, and he's got Oreo all over his face. But he just stands there, doesn't he? No. Mm-mm. Not me. And as a mom or dad, you look at him and you go, you know what? In your mind, you want to just go for it. But you know what? You still love him. You know, God still loves you, but he already knows. He sees the cookie on your face. You didn't have to tell him, but telling him helps you because it makes you dependent on God. And you are dependent on him. Repent. From, to do a 180, turn completely around. Go the other way. Confess your sin. Turn to him. And then last, God will restore. In verse 10, Of that same chapter, the Bible says, Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to the battle. Now they're in the battle again. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. In other words, guess who got beat in this battle? The Philistines. You see, God wants to do the battle for you. He will restore it. The ark is going to be returned. It was returned. The enemy enemy was defeated. They've been defeated twice. Now God defeats the enemy. 
All God wants us to do is to follow and depend on Him because what He wants is a close relationship with us. In fact, that's what Bill Ellis wrote in his book. He said, nearness to God is God's plan for us. Nearness to Him is what His plan is. And that's what God's always wanted. But we can't be near in fellowship with Him when we live in rebellion against Him. So what's your rebellion? I don't have any, Tom. We all do. You may have more than one. You may have a hundred. I don't know. They may be big. They may be small. But I'll promise you, you know what they are. What has... Now listen close, okay? I don't care if you listen to me. You don't have to do anything I say. I'm just a man. But what has God's word said about your rebellion? What is it that you know is opposite of God, but you continue to be involved in? But Tom, you don't know my situation. You're right. I don't have to. You don't know mine. But I'll tell you this. I know my rebellion and I know my sin. And when I fail to admit it to God, I'm the worst for it. You know why? Because his plan's going to keep going. I just want to be in it. As we end today, I want to read one more verse, and I don't think it's going to be on the screen, which is okay. But in 1 Samuel, we're gonna, I'm going to go all the way back to chapter 2, verse 30. God says this, 1 Samuel 2, 30. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me, which the word despise means to hate or detest, shall be. You'd think there God would have written despised, right? But he didn't. Here's what he said about it. Will be lightly esteemed. There's really not a good word in our language to denote what this word actually means. It just means you won't have what God wanted you to have. You won't be who God wants you to be, and you won't be where God wants you to be. But those who honor me, I will highly honor. Those who don't, he won't. We can't live how we want and expect God's blessing in our lives. Rebellion keeps us from enjoying the presence of God in our lives, and rebellion keeps us from enjoying the life God intends for us to live. Rebellion will not thwart the plan of God, but our rebellion will exclude us from enjoying the plan of God. Remember the lesson. Our rebellion will not change the plan of God, but our rebellion can change our part in it. As we close today, as the musicians are coming, and <clears throat> I do want to challenge you. You know, we, we talk about the altar here a lot. We talk about these steps. And every week, one of the pastors says, hey, if you want to come and just pour your heart out to God right here, please do that. And I want you to do that today, too. But today, it just seems apropos. It just seems like a perfect time. God still giving you the opportunity to turn from that. And listen, I don't have a clue who I'm talking to. I may just be talking to me. Maybe that's why I was so passionate about it. 
but I got a feeling I'm not. Come back to God. Repent of your sins. Like, come down here and tell them what they are. You don't have to tell anybody else. I told you my, my slight ones. I'm not going to tell you my big ones unless they affect you. But I got some. As long as we're in this body, we're going to have some. But not to recognize them and turn back from them is rebellion. God has given you the opportunity today to hear it and to do something about it. So I want to give you that opportunity. So these altars will be open. There will be pastors here if you'd like to confess it to somebody else. That would be great. If you just need prayer. Some of you won't come up now because you think somebody will see you. Well, maybe that's a good thing. Accountability is awesome. And listen, not a person in this room wouldn't be able to say something about themselves. So if you're worried about other people, just know they got it too. Stop being greedy. Stop the sexual immorality. Understand that the presence of God is not something to play with. That He is holy and we are dead. That He is God and we are not. And then thank Him for His grace. You say, Tom, I will not be able to live how I want to live if I confess these things and turn from them. That's a good thing. You'll be blessed because of it. I want to do opposite of what the scripture says. It'll hurt you. 